If you have your Bible, please open it to uh, Matthew chapter 3. We'll be looking at the verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts with wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were coming out to him. They were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I'll tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of a tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is stronger than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to, count, worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His renowned fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and the shaft he was burned with unclenchable fire. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come and give us understanding of what is taking place here in Matthew chapter 3. Some of the things that John says here are very hard, talking about judgment, not things we always talk about or want to talk about. So, Holy Spirit, we need you. We, we depend upon you to give us the understanding that we need. And so come, Holy Spirit. Come. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Uh, uh, preparations are a normal part of life. If, you do, if you've done any preparations in your life, you know that preparations, they cause you to slow down, to intentionally think through plans and decisions. They, they, they force you to come up with a process of getting things done. And this week, many of you have engaged in preparation, preparing for uh, the birth of a child, for graduation, for college, for a test, for a trip, for paying bills, for a play date, for family meals, for the weekend, even going to the grocery store. You, make, you, prefer, you prepare for these things. And preparations are normal. But they're not always fun and glorious. And everyone doesn't prepare well kids, preteens and teens, each of you are going to grow up one day and you're going to want a car. You're going to want a car. One day you're going to work up the nerve to go to your parent or guardian or grandparent. And you're going to ask them this question. When can I get my own car? That's a reasonable question. And I think it deserves an honest answer. And Pastor Alice is going to break it down for you. So if you never take notes as a kid, this is your time to take notes. Because 
I'm going to tell you how you can get that car one day that you're going to want. And so I call it my ABC guide of getting my own car. So if you follow this guide step by steps, you may get that car one day. So I don't see anybody taking notes. So I guess you ain't going to want no car. A, you got to learn how to drive. B, you got to get your license. And C, this is the most important thing. Get a job. Get a job. Because cars cost money. Insurance, gas, oil changes, new tires, new brakes, car payments. So it costs money. You got to have a job. Now, if you don't like step C, you can substitute it. So I gave you a way out for those of you who might not want to have a job. I call it it's something that I call USEM. It's a word that I made up. It's an acronym. It's an acronym for use someone else's money. Like your parents, if they roll that way. Preparation is key, is the point. You have to prepare for certain things that you want in life. You can't run from them. You have to embrace it. Even God uses preparation. Did you know that? He makes preparations for the way. Remember who the way is. It is Jesus. The promised way, the priestly way, the prophetic way, the kingly way, the redemptive way, the justice way. And God doesn't just protect the way. He also makes preparations for the way to be officially introduced to the world. Before Christ is introduced to the world, certain preparations had to be made. And that's what is taking place in Matthew chapter three. We see these preparations being made by a man that God chose to do it. Some of you may be familiar with Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. That's the church that Dr. King pastored from 1954 to 1960. But before Dr. King arrived, Dexter Avenue had another pastor by the name of Pastor Vernon Johns. Not much is known about him. He's not in any of the history books, but some see Pastor Johns as the forerunner to the civil rights movement because he preached about and spoke out against the injustices that led to the movement. Now, he spoke the truth, but some of his church didn't like his rhetoric and his tone. So they eventually fired him. And when they fired him, they hired someone by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King. And the rest is history. Right. See, a forerunner is a person who precedes the coming of someone else. Pastor Johns was the forerunner to Dr. King at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And in some sense, he prepared the way for Dr. King at this church. And the same is true for the person that God had chose to prepare the way for Christ. This person is a forerunner, the forerunner of the Christ. And his name is John the Baptist, son of Zachariah the priest and Elizabeth, cousin of Mary. And John the Baptist is a prophet, a prophet called to prepare the way of the Lord. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is John the Baptist living in the wilderness, off the grid, and he lives there until the word of the Lord comes to him, until it's time for him to make his presence known to the people of Israel. And I find that interesting. It's interesting that John doesn't follow in the footsteps of his father. He doesn't become a temple priest. 
He's not part of the Jewish religious system. He's not part of any religious tribe or camp or group. And what do you think that means? What does it communicate about our God? It communicates this, that he isn't going to use the Jewish religious system and establishment to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. He goes outside of it. Not the priesthood, not the rabbis, the Sanhedrin isn't part of his preparation plans. He works apart from their religious system. And here's a principle that we should never forget. God isn't obligated to work through us or with us. That's an amen statement. He is not obligated. He is not obligated to use our systems, our structures, governments, tribes, churches, visions, missions, denominations, conferences, ministries, and movements to achieve his purposes. If he's using you, then it's always out of mercy and grace, never obligation. If he's working through you, it's always for his glory and not your own. Never for our glory. Who or what is often presented as moving Christianity forward in America? Any ideas? Any thoughts? Any faces or names come to mind? Who moves it forward? This is where I believe it's presented as moving it forward. It's something that I call CP4. If you've been to the Village Church, you know Pastor Adams loves acronyms, okay? <laughs> CP4. That's what is often presented as, as moving Christianity forward in our country. I know, well, what does that mean, Pastor Alex? CP4 stands for this. Celebrity power. Celebrity prosperity. Celebrity privilege. Celebrity platform. Go to the many, many Christian conferences and you'll see the who and the what. Go to the million Christian bookstores and you'll see the who and the what. what? Get on social media and you'll see the who and the what. But God is not impressed with our C4 Christianity in America like we are. He doesn't need it to achieve his purposes. He doesn't need it to make preparations for Jesus. See, the man that God calls doesn't have CP4. I mean, the brother is living in the wilderness, for crying out loud, in the desert. And he wears camel skin with a leather belt around his waist for clothes. That's not fancy. He's not shopping at TJ Maxx. And guess what he eats? It's not fine American dining. He eats large grasshoppers dipped in wild honey. Honey glazed grasshoppers. (laughs) Yummy, right? No five guys for him. So what picture comes to mind when you think about John the Baptist? What images come to mind based on his diet and his clothing? That he's a man who lived a simple, humble life, but depend upon his God for his provisions. A man without CP4, but yet getting ready to be used by God. And let's be honest here. John the Baptist would not be invited to speak at any Christian conference today. He wouldn't even be invited to preach at any church today because he doesn't look the part. No track record of success, no book deal, no nice title in front of his name like the good reverend doctor. Irrelevant, powerless, just a regular man living in the desert. How can he be a man of God? How can God use a person 
who appears to have nothing to offer. Look at his clothes. Look at what this dude eats. God's not using him. Be careful. Watch yourself. You don't want to be the Bama of the week, like Huggy Lowdown would say. We look at outward appearances, but God doesn't. First Corinthians one twenty seven says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That is what is happening in Matthew 3 with John the Baptist. He may look foolish. He may be weak. But this brother is getting ready to be used by God in a powerful way. For God uses weak people. He uses people who don't have it all together. He uses people the world, even Christians, may deem as insignificant. So never judge a book by its cover. Don't do that. There's an easy trap that we can fall into when we are reading through the Bible. It's a trap of using the men and women of Scripture as moral examples to follow. Now, we can learn from them, but we but let's not take from Scripture things the author did not intend for us to take. You see, Matthew is not presenting John the Baptist as a moral example for us. He is sharing the history of John's role in God's preparation for Jesus. This role is a calling given to only John. And it cannot be duplicated. You can't copy and paste it. You can't bootleg it. Many people live their entire life chasing after the coattails of other people. Wanting to be them. Wanting to have what they have. Wanting their stuff. And they never come to embrace the fact that they themselves have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Because they spend their time chasing other people. These are what I call copy and paste Christians. Copy and paste people. They live their life trying to duplicate others. Their life their ministry, their marriage, their family, their success, their church, their looks, their jobs, their activities, their material possessions. And duplicating others is not a spiritual gift. It is idolatry. It's worship of man. It's denying the way God has made you. And we all struggle with this. I do. I struggle with this all the time. As a father, as a husband, as a pastor. There are plenty of people I want to duplicate. Because I'm not at peace with how God has made me. But God has not called you to be the next John the Baptist. He hasn't called you to be the next so-and-so Christian that you admire. He has called you to be the person he has gifted you to be. Just be you. Walk in the gifts he has blessed you with. Walk in the calling that he has placed on your life. You, everyone in this room, has been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. But do you believe it? No one else is more in the image than than you. We all are in the same image. It's not based upon success and status and outward appearance. It's based upon his affection for you. But do you believe it? John believes it. He walks in his calling. He prepares the way for Jesus through a ministry of preparation. It's a ministry that is given only to him. 
And this ministry involved prophetic preaching. And that's how he makes his appearance known to, to Israel, that he comes on the scene preaching in the wilderness. In verse 1, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Like an open-air preacher, a street preacher, a herald. He's coming with a message that he has to give to the people. And what's the message? What's the content of his preaching? It's this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is just a summary of, of all of John's preaching. That phrase. He's commanding Israel, commanding the Jewish people to repent of their sins, acknowledge their guilt, confess it, turn from their evil ways and and return to the Lord their God. And why should they do it? Because the kingdom of God is near. That's why they should do it. The sovereign rule of God is at hand. He is ushering in the messianic age, his plan of redemption, restoration, reconciliation, liberation and justice is coming. It's coming. The way is getting ready to be revealed to the world. Again, that is Jesus. That's what John is doing. He's making Jesus' path straight. Now, his ministry of preparation isn't just preaching. It also has a baptism attached to it. And this baptism is different from the self-administered baptism that Gentiles had to do when they converted to Judaism. It's different from the self-administered ritual washings that people did to cleanse themselves. This baptism here, it means to dip, to immerse, that it was administered by John in the Jordan River upon those who repented of their sins. It's an expression of their repentance. And his ministry is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 40, his baptism and his preaching. He's preparing the way for Christ to come. And what I love about John is that he understands his role and call. He knows that he is not the Christ. He knows that he is not the way. He knows that he is not the main event. He just sets the stage for the main event. And we can learn from that. We can walk in our callings with faithfulness and humility. That's how we walk. That's how we walk. When you're walking in your calling that God has placed you in, you won't care what other people think. When you're walking and believing that you are in the place that God wants you to be, you won't live your life trying to duplicate other people. Because one of the things we have to come to terms with is that all the days of our life, you will always have an audience of one. And that audience His opinion is the only opinion that matters. And his opinion of you is that he loves you. See, we live our life thinking we got an audience of a million people. We don't. You have an audience of one. And when you know he is with you, when you know you are walking in a calling he placed upon your life, you don't care what the other world says. You don't live to be anyone else. You're at peace with how God has made you. Are you at peace with how God has made you? Do you even know what your calling is? Have you even thought about it? One way to think about it is that wherever he has you now, that may be your calling. 
for this season, at this point in your life, believing that you have an audience of one that helps you when opposition and hardships and rejections come your way. They will come. They will come. They always come. When you read through the Old Testament, one thing, particularly the prophetic books, one of the things you learn about the prophets is that they were not always received well by the people. Some people rejected them. They even stoned them. And again, these prophets were sent by God to the people for their benefit. And they rejected them. And they rejected them, they rejected the Lord. So what's going to happen with John? Will he be accepted? Will he be rejected? Well, the people receive John. They travel out to the wilderness to see this man. Now, some probably just went to see this is guy dressed like a camel in the desert preaching. So let me go see who he is. But it, but it doesn't matter. They still came. And some confessed and some were baptized. Verse 5 and 7 says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the reason about the Jordan were coming out to John. And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So word was spreading around the area about John and what he was doing in the wilderness. And the the news about him eventually reached two groups within Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were a group of scribes and a group of high priests. So they decide, well, we need to go see what this is all about. So they come to the baptism one day. Now, they don't come to be baptized. They come to be, they come in opposition to him. And John knows that. That's why he says to them, oh, I lost my place. You offspring of vipers, who warning you to flee from the wrath to come? You offspring of vipers, who warn you to flee the wrath to come? Ouch, John. Children of snakes, Really? That's an insult. That, that hurt, hurts me. And notice his question. He's, he's talking about the wrath of God here. Judgment towards sin. And, 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 and when it comes to God's wrath, it's holy, it's just, and righteous. And faith and repentance are the only way to escape from it. Good works won't do it. Being a good moral person won't do it. Identifying as a Christian won't do it. Talking about like talking like a believer won't do it. Knowing a lot of Bible verses won't do it. Knowing a lot of theology won't do it. Ancestral privileges won't do it because the Jew, the, these men were children of Abraham, and so because they were children of Abraham, they thought they didn't need to repent. But they are wrong. They are wrong. And for us, that means kids, you don't get into heaven by your parents' faith. Okay, your parents' faith don't save you. Your faith in God and Jesus saves you. You don't get in by who you know. You're not saved by who you know. Well, you are saved by who you know, but it has to be Jesus. Okay. Can't be man is the point. Has to be him. John tells them, bear fruit and keep it with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up children of Abraham. So that means nothing to say that you are a descendant of Abraham. It doesn't get you in. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's hard preaching. But it's true. And what is he saying? Judgment 
and salvation are before us, before you. And the only way to flee judgment and, and to sprint into the arms of salvation is by coming to the way, coming to Jesus. He is the only way you can produce fruit that keeps with repentance. And that's why John points them to Jesus in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is stronger than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That is Jesus. That is him. And the question for all of us is where do we stand? Adults, kids, preteens, teens. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? You see, the way has a certain scent and smell about it. It's, it's, it's a, it has an aroma for, for those who are being saved and for those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death, and to the other, a fragrance of life to life. Which fragrance are you smelling? Which fragrance do you want to smell? If you want the fragrance of life to life, then you must come to these hands that are extending out to you. Welcoming you. Asking you to come. Asking you to come to him. You can come to him for the first time. That means you might not know him. That means you can come. And when you come to him, acknowledge your sin to him, repent of that sin, he receives you as his own. And that means all your sin has been washed in his blood, past, present, future. And as an amen statement, if you already know him and you're struggling, you're living in the far country, you're hurting with unbelief, guess what? You can still come home. And how do you come home? Repentance. That's how you come home. You never get to a place where you don't repent. Repentance is a gift that you carry with you. Now, I've said this often. You don't have to climb on the cross with Jesus. Stop it. His death is sufficient. He doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your perfection. What he needs is you to be covered in the blood. And when you're covered in the blood, you can walk in resurrection power. And that power is seen. And how often do you repent? Repentance is a gift. It gets the sin monkey off your back. It gets on us. Weighs us down. It beats us up. You live in guilt. You live in shame. You, you wallow. But repentance frees you. He knows that you are dust. You're the one that keeps forgetting it. He knows that you are sheep. You're the one that keeps forgetting it. He knows you're going to wander in the far country. You are the one whose name. One day I'm going to get to a place where I no longer struggle with sin. Now I can tell you one day when that will happen. That's when you cross over to glory. But on this side of glory, you're going to struggle. And repentance is there to help. Will you walk in it? 
will you come to these hands. You would never, beloved, get to a place where you don't need these hands, where you don't need him to walk with you, to encourage you, to speak truth to you, to remind you that you are loved by God more than you can ever realize. To know that God loves you even when you don't have your quiet time. He loves you even when, you, when your kids get on your nerves and you don't want to be with them anymore. He knows that. Every parent feels that way. Don't come in here and pretend like you don't. He knows. And he knows you kids when your parents get on your nerves and you want to go to grandma's house. He knows that you are going to fall short, that you are going to struggle with sin. And the good news is that you can always come home. Always come home. So let us pray. I don't hammer on that horse enough. Let's pray. Father, we are forgetful people. And come Monday morning, all of us are going to forget all of this. So, Holy Spirit, that's why we have you, to remind us of the things that we always forget about God, to remind us of the truth that we always forget from one struggle to the next, from one hardship to the next. We go in and out, Lord, the roller coaster. We never get out of the roller coaster. But I pray that we will, what we will live in and what we will grab hold of is the fact that God is with us no matter what we go through. Psalm 139, Lord. Where can we flee from your presence? Nowhere. You are with us. And for your people, as they go out this week, that you would be with them. Be with our kids. Be with our preteens and our teens. Be with the adults. Be with the families as they go out. You know the battles that we're going to face. You know the struggles that we're going to face. You know the temptations that we're going to face. You know the worries that we have. Help us to know and pray to you and expect you to move. That it's okay that we don't have it all together, that we don't know how we're going to have solved this problem or that issue. Help us to know that we are in good hands and we have a father who will never, ever, ever forsake us. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?